Now we go back, please, to Luke and chapter 9. In particular, we'll be doing the verses just before the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, we may have some th- thoughts just to pass on on the Mount of Transfiguration in connection with the whole thing, if we have that time. All right? But it's going to be Luke and chapter 9. And remembering that we're at this last six months in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus, we've reached a a crucial point here where clearly there is a change in direction in the way of the Lord Jesus. He's going to go to Jerusalem now. That's what lies before him is the cross. There's a change in direction and a change in emphasis in the teaching which he gives. And that really is very, very important. He wants them to understand certain things, right? They must understand this or they won't be able to follow him any further and be that true disciple. Firstly, they must understand who he really is. Now, we touched that this morning, didn't we? Not just the carpenter's son, more than that. Who Jesus really is. Who do men say that I am? That's one thing. But who do you say that I, the son of man, am? Have you got that inward revelation which comes from God the Father himself as to who I really am. Now you must understand that or you won't continue to follow me because you won't understand the work which I'm going to do. So firstly, you must that. That's the first must. Secondly, you must understand verse 22. It was verse 18 to verse 20, understanding who Jesus really is. Verse 22, you must understand this. The Son of Man must suffer and must be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and must be slain, and must be raised the third day. Very, very important. Now we get to verse 23. Because they must understand what it means to be a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus. This is the next great must. You see, there's two sides to being a follower of the Lord Jesus, and the one emphasized here is very, very cutting. Let's read it firstly. He said to them all, verse 23, if any man will come after me, if any man desires to follow me, look at this. One, let him deny himself. Two, take up his cross daily. Three, follow me. That's a tremendous verse. Four, whosoever will save or seeks to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will or seeks to lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what, shall, what is a man advantaged? Or what does it profit a man, if you like, if he gain the whole world and lose himself or lose his own soul, as another uh, gospel writer puts it, or be cast away? And then he crowns the whole thing. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. 
Now he says you must understand the terms of discipleship. They are very severe. If you put it this way, they are, as it were, very cutting, very cutting. The terms of discipleship are actually very tough. And as we said last week, and I say again, salvation, it costs us nothing. But discipleship will cost us everything. And that's the terms that he's laying down here. You can't just be a casual follower. You must understand the terms of discipleship. There's two sides to being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the one hand, to be a follower of Christ is to have a life of peace, a life of joy, a life of rest, and a life of deep inward satisfaction. And every true believer here this morning would surely agree with that, the blessed portion of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he has already taught them this. He made that very clear about a year previously, when in the house of Simon the Pharisee, you remember the woman that was a sinner came and washed his feet. After that event, chronologically, are the words of Matthew chapter 11. When the Lord Jesus saw the multitudes and he says, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and my yoke is easy, my burden is light, you shall find rest for your souls. Now that's beautiful, isn't it? Every, everyone that knows the Saviour and has come to trust and sought to follow him, you've found out the beauty of a life of peace, of joy and rest. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest, lay down thou weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad, and I found in him that resting place. And he has made me glad. Now we're 12 months as it were later. Now we're moving and the shadow of the cross is looming large over the pathway of the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead of trying to turn away from it or to dodge its casting shadow, he faces it directly. And in verse, I think it's 54, you'll see, he sets his face in a determination to go to Jerusalem, and he knows full well what's going to happen there. So now, having told them of the blessings of the peace and the rest and the joy, with the shadow of the cross looming over his pathway, and the fact that the followers of his must follow him to that place of suffering and of shame, and understand the meaning of the death that he would die, he turns and he says, I want you to understand now, that to follow me, continue to follow me, there's a price to pay. The terms of discipleship are truly going to be very tough. And in verses 23, right through to verses 26, he sets out the pathway of the true follower of Christ. It was pertinent for them at that point of their journey. It's extremely pertinent for us in the world in which we presently live. Verse 23 says, Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. Let him follow me. Three things in one verse. Telling them very plainly that the life of a disciple was a life of self-denial. Let him deny himself. It's a life of suffering 
and sacrifice to follow the Lord. Let him take up his cross daily. Not take up the Lord's cross. That, that cross. It's your own cross. It's the death of self. It's the crucifixion of self. It's a life of self-denial, number one. A life of suffering and of sacrifice, number two. And it is a life of following. Let him follow me. I want to go cover those three points very, very clearly, that we understand what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Number one, let him deny himself. When you deny something, you say, it doesn't exist, really. That's what you're saying. I say to you and accuse you of something, and you say, there is no truth in it. It doesn't actually exist. You're talking about something that isn't so. So when you deny yourself, what you're doing is you're behaving as though self does not exist. Life is no longer all about me. I am no longer looking for my comforts. I am not concerned about my feelings. It's not that I want my rights, nor is life anymore what I get out of it. In short, it's not about me at all. I'm denying the fact I even exist, because from here on, for the disciple, the life of that disciple, that believer, it's all about him. Now let him deny himself. You see... We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer have a desire just to please ourselves. Nor is it our desire just to indulge ourselves in all our luxury and feelings. And not only that, we don't even have direction over our own life. No, we are no longer the master of our fate, nor are we the captain of our soul. Not at all. That's not the life of a disciple. The truth is, we have died and our lives are now hid with Christ in God. This is self-denial, behaving as though me, I don't even exist, because the prime's vision in my life is him and him alone. I mean, this is absolutely huge in the world in which we live. This shows why there's such a difference between the child of God and the unsaved and the ungodly society in which we live. See, it's not even their mindset. They don't think like that. Today, it's all about exalting myself. It's all about worshipping myself. It's all about, you know, there's nobody more important in the world than me. There's no greater goal in life than to discover who I really am. And the Christian says, no, there's nothing more important in my life than to discover who he truly is. And nothing more important in my life, not that I take control of it, not that I really let everybody know just who I am, but it's more rather that he takes control of me and I learn that he rules and I learn that he reigns and me, I'm just someone who follows. I don't initiate. I don't determine. I don't plan. I'm just a simple one who follows in the footsteps of the master. And fellow Christian, I, me, you, us, all of us have to learn this in today's world. It is so contrary. And we must teach it to our children, the difference between being a child of God and being a child of wrath. 
The difference when the change comes, when you turn and you learn to be a follower and you live that life of obedience and complete trust. If you don't teach your children that, they'll never hear it anywhere else. From the moment they go to school, they will learn the importance of self, self-realization, self-fulfillment, self-actualization. You can do anything that you want. You just become the, the, the captain of your life. You become the determiner of your own fate. It's all in your hands. The Lord's saying no. The first thing is, let him decide, deny himself. Really, this is, this is exactly what Paul is saying when he gets into Romans chapter 12. I mean, he's talked about the wonders of the salvation that we have. He's talked about the marvel of a Christ that's died. He's talked about the fullness of a blessing that lies ahead. And he says, therefore, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You see, you have died, number one. This is a holy, acceptable, it is a holy, acceptable unto God. It is your reasonable service. It's the logical conclusion that you must come to when you realize that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, that he owns you, he died for you, he loves you, you yield yourself entirely and in total. And instead of thinking like the world thinks about yourself, verse 2, you're not conformed to the world, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are, have a completely different mindset and framework of reference in the way you consider self and self-seeking and self-acceptance and self-aggrandizement. You're not thinking like that. You've laid that on the altar. You've put that thing to death and you're thinking in terms of him and giving everything back to him because of what he's given to you. And there comes out of it not a life of misery and frustration and pain and need, but there comes out of it the beauty of knowing what is the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of God. So you see there's that price, there is that cost, there is that sacrifice, there is that blessing, there is that fulfillment, and there is that joy, the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of God. Now, if you can start to resonate with the ideas that I'm bringing through here from the scripture of denying yourself, then you're really getting to the point of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're getting to the point where you won't even admit that yourself does not exist. That's how strong it is. You realize, look, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. You come to that point where you have actually relinquished all control of self and entrusted everything into the hands of God and of the Savior that you follow. You, you regard God in everything. Every intention that comes into your mind, every plan you have, every desire you desire, you refer everything to him. And instead of acting on your own impulse and your own feelings, all right, or on your own standards, you, you stop yourself. And you say, no, I do not allow myself to rule. Pride goes when you do that, because pride is about yourself. Arrogance goes when you do that, because arrogance is you thinking too much about yourself. 
And all pretension goes because you don't mind what people think about you and yourself. There is nothing about greed in your life because that's the satisfaction of yourself. And suddenly all those sins of lust disappear because that's the indulgence of the passions of the self. And even the thoughts of gluttony go. You see, it's all over. It's all over. It's not all about me anymore. It's not about my feelings anymore. It's not about something in it for me anymore. Indeed, I don't exist anymore. That's how strong this is. And you enter into that life that's absolutely blessed. No, it's not the life of going and living in a little cell somewhere and you know wearing very few clothes or nice rough garments to make yourself uncomfortable and to suffer all the cold and the shiver and say, well, I'm denying myself. That's the life of the stoic. That's not that at all. It's the inner passions of the soul that you've just reckoned them dead. It's the inner desires of the human nature that's natural to us all that you say, no, 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 you've laid it down at the feet of the Master. And you've proved rest for your souls. That's what you've done. When you get here, fellow Christian, and realise that it doesn't all depend on you, who you are, where you finish up, what you achieve, it all rests with him and you're just in his hand and under his rule and you're just a follower and he's the leader for he is the captain of our salvation. And there's a blessed truth here, very blessed. It's Galatians 2, isn't it? And verse 20, what does it say? I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ is living in me. And the life which I now live... I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. It is no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. You sing it, it's beautiful. I die daily, says the Apostle Paul. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, and the true follower of me, he takes up the cross daily. It's not that you just wake in the morning and think, oh, I'll put it down, didn't I? I must pick it up again. No, the idea is that it's a constant attitude of mind about yourself in a life that is Christ-centred and Christ-exalting. And come what may, you will pay the price of following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know there's suffering, you know there's shame, you know there's rejection, and there is death to self. But nonetheless, you want to prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. And like Moses, you will choose to suffer affliction along with the people of God, rather than the pleasures of the grandeurs of Egypt, which are just but for a season. You will understand the meaning of the reproach of the Christ, the reproach for actually belonging to him. You will have a true faith that will follow him, yea, to the cross itself, and the understanding of it. It's a faith that you actually live by. It's a faith that you've surrendered yourself. There is a Perfect trust in him. And there's only one desire in your mind. I am going to follow. Verse 24. What does it say in verse 24? It underscores it because he said, Whosoever will save his life, he shall lose it. In other words, if you're going to take that life, he says, and you're not going to surrender it. You're going to take that life and you're not going to deny his existence. You're not going to take that life and make it that sacrifice that's daily. What's actually going to happen? You may avoid a lot of pain. You may, in this life, avoid the suffering. But the truth is, 
You will, in the end of the day, you will actually find you've lost it and you never got life at all. You know, a life of following the Lord. A life that brings peace and rest for your soul. A life that opens up for you the perfect and the acceptable will of God. A life whereby you feel every day you're moving into the unknown, but you've got your hand into the hand of God, which is better than having a light, and it's safer than an own way, as the old poem says. That life is life indeed. And he says, if you're trying to keep what you've got now, you will lose the reality of what you could have. But if you give what you've got now, as it were, if you lose it, the truth is you'll find that you've got found it and you have preserved for yourself life that's life indeed. Don't save your own life and keep it for yourself. The sin of selfishness and self-aggrandizement and self-worship is the sin of our day in our society. And the call of God, let's deny ourselves and to follow him. Verse 25, what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul. Yes, he may avoid rejection. You may avoid shame. You may avoid the pain of self-denial. Ultimately, you've got nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, today it is about our comforts. Today it is, it, it is about ourselves. It is about what we can achieve. It is all about what we can gain. But the truth is, if you've got this secret of following, of trusting of leaning and of looking, you've actually saved that life. You've got what life is really all about. Sorry if I quote it again. I've quoted it so often. I keep thinking of that poem about that woman who had absolutely nothing of this life's position, possession, prestige or comfort. In the heart of London's city, mid the dwelling of the poor, these bright golden words were spoken, I have Christ, what want I more? Spoken by a lonely woman, dying on the attic floor. I have Christ, without one earthly comfort, she says, I have Christ, what want I more? That's the truth of the blessing of being a true disciple. The terms, yes. Salvation costs nothing. Discipleship costs everything. The terms are tough. Is that enough? No, the Lord's going to teach it and teach it and teach it again. If you go to verse 57 in the same chapter of Luke chapter 9, what does he say? came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said to him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever Thou goest. Jesus said, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man is not where to lay his head. Now this man is obviously attracted. He's obviously someone who desires to follow him. And the Lord says to him, Look, I'm, do you understand what you're doing? Do you understand that to follow me is not going to be so attractive? Actually, it's going to be extremely uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, you will have to deny yourself even the comforts of sleep, even the quietness and rest of a pillow and of home. You may find that there's no time for that. After all, he says, ahead there lies that which is the most self-denying of all. And if you can understand that, then, he says, 
you maybe can continue with your desire and you can come and follow me. Unfortunately, fellow believers, we have become very comfortable Christians. It's been pretty respectable to be a Christian for the last 30 years. Fairly respectable. I mean, you didn't suffer much. You gained quite a lot. And we haven't had much that has impacted on our peace of mind or on our acceptance. And we're a bit perhaps like this. We don't realise that the foxes have got their holes and the birds of the airs have got their nests. They've got creature comforts and they've got home comforts and they've got the, self, the things that make the self nice. But the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Now, do you understand, he's saying, to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Then in the next verse, verse 59, he says to another, this isn't someone who's come and been attracted by the Lord. This is someone whom he has actually called. And the man says, Lord, well, uh, he says to the man, follow me. And the man says, but Lord, look, just let me first go and bury my father. Now, and the Lord says these amazing things, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now, we probably all understand the context that when the man said, let me first go and bury my father, you'd sort of say, well, that's reasonable, and then he, his father needs to be buried. Now, that isn't actually the culture of the day here. That's not what he means at all. If in these days you said, ask somebody to do something, they said, well, look, first I'm going to bury my father, it meant, was, it meant that he would stay and live with his parents or stay in a situation where he can take responsibility for his parents until the father dies and then he will bury him, Right? The man was, could well have been still alive and well, but he's saying, well, I've got a commitment elsewhere to another relationship, which, you know, I think is very honourable, but when I've got that done, then I can come and follow. You see? And the Lord says, look, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. There's a certain urgency about this. There are no other priorities, and there's a work that needs to be done before the end. Go and preach the gospel. And fellow Christian, there's a work that must be done before the end. Let the whole world know who Jesus is. And until that grips you, the necessity for what must be done, then you will, be, you will never understand what it means to leave behind other priorities and to put the work of the kingdom of God first. Verse 61, and another said, I will follow thee. But let me first, there it is again, go and bid farewell to them that are at home. And the Lord says, no man having put his hand to the plough and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, this man had relationships in his life which hadn't really been settled. And the truth is to become a follower of Christ means you become into a complete new relationship which claims you as a you know, total commitment and there can be absolutely no looking back when you are a disciple. So you put it together and you say, now he's taught us that it's a life that may well be very uncomfortable and indeed it's a commitment which cannot be put off. It transcends all other priorities. I can't look back and there is a work to be done. This is a life of total surrender. You know, you don't add Christ onto your life as a convenience and hope for and know that you'll get a blessing by and by in heaven. It's not like that. 
This is total surrender. This is total commitment. This is denying self. This is taking up the cross. This is saying, I am crucified with Christ. This is saying, it is no longer I that liveth, but it's Christ that lives in me. And sadly, and I must repeat this, I've got to tarry here a minute, because sadly this is not the message that has been taught in the church for the last 10 to 20 years. It's been the very opposite. Believe in Jesus, the miracle worker. Take control of your own life. Set your goals. Have your five-year plan. Expect success. You deserve it. You can demand it. You can be rich. You will be rich. And indeed, the measure of your spirituality can probably be measured by your bank balance. Because that shows how much God has blessed you and how much God has approved of you. I want to tell you this. That's not the message of the Bible. That's not the message of the Master. We're obsessed with authority. We can have authority as Christians. Authority over our future. Authority over our finances. Over our poverty. Over our health. Over the demons. Yes, authority. No, no. That's in God's hands. We are followers. This is the message of the Master. And this is, all of that is not what he meant when he said, Come and follow me. He taught suffering now and glory and reigning in the future. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign together with him. That troubled me, that verse, because we don't know much of that about suffering and it's often come to my mind, if we suffer, if we suffer. Fellow Christians, it's very likely in our generation we shall suffer for being Christians in our Western world. I just this morning say to you, are you really, am I really ready for it? Is that not enough? We'll go to chapter 14 in Luke. Same story in chapter 14, exactly the same story. And it's even stronger. It's even more confronting. Look, for instance, at verse 26. See how the Lord's preparing them for what lies ahead. And he would prepare us. And he says this, If any man come to me, and look, hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and yea, his own life also. What does it say? He cannot be my disciple. What's he saying? Before you can qualify to love me and follow me, you must learn to go around hating everybody else. That is not what he's teaching here. We know it's not that because he teaches the exact opposite elsewhere in family relationship and all other relationships, even loving your neighbor as yourself. So you say, what do you mean? What he's saying here very clearly, unless your love for me surpasses all other loves, then actually you will find you cannot be my disciple. You see that? If your love for me does not surpass all other loves in any relationship of your life, you cannot be my disciple. 
Because the truth is, he says later, I have actually come to bring a sword on the earth. And there will be such a thing as broken relationships, father against son and mother against daughter. Do you see now the terms of discipleship? You cannot be my disciple. Verse 27. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If you will not deny yourself, if you will not go to the place of sacrifice and give your all on the altar and yield your body a living sacrifice, you can't be my disciple. Verse 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has cannot be my disciple. Do you get it now? The terms of discipleship are tough. The salvation which came with nothing to pay is that, but is followed by that discipleship which in actual fact will cost you everything. That's why later on in Luke, you see the same teaching, we're still in the last six months. Later on in Luke, a rich young ruler comes and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you see, it seems, uh, when you read it, so unreasonable, because apparently he's got to pay for it by getting rid of all his money. That's not the point. Not the point at all. He says to this young man, you know, this, he looks on him and he loves that young man. That's what it says about him. And he says, well, you want to be my disciple? You want eternal life? You want to get that? You want to follow me and have my life and share in my life and know me truly and have rest for your soul? Young man, I've got to tell you something. You've got to go and sell all whatsoever you've got and then you can come and follow me. Why did he say that? Because he put his finger on that young man's life, the very point in his life where he loved his money more than he loved the Lord, you see. He had another priority. Something else came first. Something which he would not lay on that altar and he would not crucify and slay. And that was the thing in his life. Now, it may not be the thing in your life or in my life, but if there's anything in life that comes between you and the Lord, you've not got there yet. And the only thing that will ever bring you to it is a realisation of the Christ who died. And you say, he loved me. And he gave himself for me, the glories of a heaven, the splendour of the ivory palaces, the joy of the... Father, his Father's fellowship and presence, the wonder of the worshipping angels. He gave it all. He gave it all in death for me, a guilty sinner. All this I have done for thee, he says. What have you done or given to me? That's the message of discipleship. That's the teaching here of the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed to know, they needed to understand that to follow him was to mean death to self. To follow him was to not stop following him until they reached the cross and they saw the meaning of his sacrifice. So in verse 26, back there in Luke chapter 10, what does he say in the climax of this part of his teaching? He says these magnificent, these absolutely wonderful, wonderful words. And in Luke chapter 9 he says, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, that's cutting of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed uh, in his coming. And the truth is that there is coming a day. And it says here, when he shall come, 
in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And there's coming a day when this suffering and this shame and this hardship will be completely over. When he comes, and I love the description, when he comes in the, his own glory, right? When he comes in his Father's glory, when he comes in the glory of his holy angels, he will not be ashamed of those who were not ashamed of him. That's the teaching. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. And as the disciples hear of this life of hardship and self-denial, he gives them a little glimpse of who he really is. He's going to come in the power and splendor of his glory. And he takes three of his disciples later, straight after this, and takes them up into that high mountain apart. And he whom they thought was the carpenter's son is transfigured before them. And they see the glory of who he really is. And the difference to those eyes was so spectacular and tremendous that it's described as a transfiguration. It's a metamorphosis. It's the process by which a bug, a caterpillar, turns into a beautiful butterfly. And you look at the caterpillar and you say, oh, it's a wiggly, squiggly thing. And maybe it's even greasy and a bit sticky. Nothing very nice about the grub, but it's a grub. It's a wonderful thing in and it of itself. And then you see the butterfly and you say, well, the difference is so great, they don't seem to be related. And but for the fact that I saw the transition, I wouldn't know that that actually, in essence, is the same as this actually, in essence. And the beauty of the butterfly and the, the splendor of its wings and the glamour of its colour and all about it is so lovely. Oh, says the writer of here in Luke's Gospel. We saw the Lord Jesus, our carpenter's son, and there was not much beauty in him that we should desire him, no. Despised and rejected of men, yes, but we saw him on the holy mount and who he really was. It was the same person. Suddenly, as man, he is still man in that holy mountain. He's still man because he's talking with men and men are speaking directly in converse with him. But the perfection of who he is, the glory of his manhood in perfect image and glory of God is breaking through to them and they're catching a glimpse of the Son of Man in his glory and they understand that one day he will come in his own glory. He will come in the glory of his Father. He will come in the glory of the holy angels and he will reign and rule supreme and the one they're following to the shame of the cross is the one they're going to follow and see him in the glory of his resurrection. And he's going to be the one that's going to spend 40 days with them in that resurrected power with a victory over death, over sin, and over hell, and over Satan. And finally, he will be received up in glory. And the cloud will receive him out of their sight. And they will return from the mountain having seen him in all his glory. That final mount of ascension. And what will they do? They're going to be his disciples. And they're going to follow him. And they're going to deny themselves. And they're going to take up the cross daily. And they're just going to follow him. In that life of perfect trust. Of perfect peace. Of perfect joy. Of perfect rest. Till all is perfectness above. When by his grace I shall look on his face 
through the, right through the ages, twill be glory for me. For when we see him again, when we see him again, we shall be like him. And we'll see him as he really is. What think ye of Christ? Now you tell me, what do you say? Answer the question yourself before God. Who do you say that he is? Do you really know who Jesus is? Well, God, may God grant us the joy of what it means to follow him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, these are blessed things. We've said many things this morning that are really beyond our experience. Many things, Father, that there are so many Christians in parts of the world who have suffered and paid the price. Give us grace, humbly we ask, in our weakness. Make us strong. And Lord, help us to follow much more closely. Help us to love much more dearly. Help us to serve much more fully. And help us to look much more expectantly. Lord, to look. One day the heavens will part with splendour and the glory of the Lord comes forth. The angels coming with him, the redeemed of the past all coming too. The glory that's rightly his, the glory of the Father, the holy angels, the glory of the redeemed, the glory of a coming day. Lord, lift us up, we pray as we part again and bless thy holy name. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit again be our blessing, our joy and our portion in the week that lies ahead. Unless the Lord become. Amen.